Good morning. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to see you this morning. We're, we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. That's where we're going to be. If you brought a Bible, um, you can turn there. And if you didn't, don't worry. We're going to have a, I'm going to have it on the screen, and, and we'll talk through it. Um, it's a big day. Easter's a big day. And, you know, it, people usually, you know, it's funny. I, it's funny. They'll say things like, you know, just like the Super Bowl for preachers or something. And I guess, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you, I, I get what the sentiment is. I mean, and I think one of the reasons that we, you know, we all make this priority to, to attend an Easter service is because at some level, no, no matter who we are, I mean, we're here because we, you know, we know this is important. And if you ask several people why it's important, you know, you get a lot of answers, but a lot of times you'd hear somebody say, it's important because of the resurrection. And the resurrection's important, so that's a good starting place. But, but I want to go a little further this morning. I want to, I want to kind of push in a little further past the resurrection being important. And, and I want to argue this morning, the resurrection is important, but it's more than that. The resurrection is important for me. The resurrection is important for you. See, here's the thing. If the, if the resurrection is just important generally as a, as a concept, then Easter is really nothing more than a day where you know, we, we get dressed up and we come pay our respects. We, we come to, you know, pay our respects, to say, listen, Jesus is important. I honor him. His life and death and resurrection are important. So we've come to acknowledge that. We've come to pay our respects. I, I remember we were in Washington, D.C. Uh, we took, gone a couple of different times with our kids and, and taken them. And one of the things I really like seeing, I mean, it's always this fascination to me is the tomb of the unknown soldier. And it's a fascination to me because, you know, I mean, 1921, this, uh, they, they in, in turn of an, an unknown soldier. And they've had a, a guard, part of the old guard, I looked all this up, they, guarding the, the tomb of the unknown soldier ever since. And then, in, you know, I think 1941, 1942, it's a 24 hours, seven days a week guarding. And I'm always struck by it a little bit. So I'm there, and I'm fascinated, and I'm paying, want to pay my respects, and, you know, all of those things. Because, I, you know, I, it... It, it means something, although I don't even know all that it fully means. I, I'm aware to know, man, this is a big deal. But I can tell you my paying respect is nothing compared to the soldier that's on guard paying respect. Because here's the thing, if I get too loud, he's coming at me. If I decided I was going to do harm or be malevolent, that you know, malevolent, I... I'm going to meet him personally and realize his idea of paying respect and my idea of paying respect are two totally different things. See what I'm saying? P paying 
respect. And so the tomb that we consider this morning, the, the empty, the, the tomb we're considering this morning, it, it's empty. Jesus was the occupant, but he lives, he's risen, he's alive. And so I want to argue, it is more than just showing up this morning and paying respect. So I want to take a few minutes and I want to look at this, uh, these eight verses at the end of Mark's gospel, chapter 16 in Mark, um, uh, verses 1 through 8, and I'll give you a little context as you're getting set, and then I'm going to read it, but uh, at the end of Mark 15, it records that Jesus died, and then a man named Joseph, we find Joseph of Arimathea, he comes, he asks for Jesus' body, and then he takes Jesus off the cross, he wraps him in burial cloth, uh, places him in a tomb, Actually, you find out from the other guy, it's his own tomb. It would have looked like a cave carved out of a rock. And then Jesus is laid in a tomb, and a, and a stone, you know, a large stone is rolled over the entrance of the tomb. Everybody leaves. It's a sad scene. A couple of women, you find out, will be introduced to them here in a minute. Uh, they're at the funeral, such as it was, but they're probably at a distance. The account from Matthew reminds us, Pilate, he, he set some soldiers to, to guard the tomb. They seal the stone and put a seal around it. Then nobody goes in, nobody goes out. All right, that's the setting. Mark chapter 16, beginning verse 1. Here's what it says. Um, I'm, a little, I'm a little hot back here, guys. Just a little pinging off the wall here. All right. Um, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and uh, Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And we said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, help us this morning to hear these words. That, Father, we would we'd come away paying more than just respect. We'd, we'd come away realizing the resurrection has changed everything. Everything. So help us to see it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, in the first verse, there's two things to notice about the first verse here. Um, you, you have the who and the why. So, so you have these three women. You got the two Marys and the, and the uh, Salome. And they were, you know, uh, they, they were eyewitnesses. They're eyewitnesses to the death. They're eyewitnesses to the burial. They're uh, going to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection here. Or at least the empty tomb. And Mark tells us um, that, listen, you know, over and over uh, again, these women, he, he keeps naming them. He wants us to know, hey, these are the witnesses. And, and yet, Mark, Mark's pretty clear, at, at all these events, they're, they're there at a distance. And I think the reason is because that is our favorite perspective on death, at a distance, I mean, we do all we can to distance ourselves from it. We, we try to stay healthy, work out, you know, watch what we eat. We're, we're careful. We, you know, we're so careful. It's all a way of keeping death at bay. But, you know, occasionally it'll catch up with somebody that we love and somebody that you know, like, like these women. And then they have to go and they have to go see death up close. See, one of these things, one of the things the last couple of years has done, you know, pandemic and watching a war unfold on social media right now in the Ukraine. Those aren't the only things, but they're the big things that come to mind. It's, it's reminded us all over again, if we, if we needed another reminder, but death can bridge the distance to find any single one of us. Any of the illusions that we have that somehow we are safer than we really are, those illusions, well, they've been crumbled, haven't they? Any illusion that we thought we were safe from death or the devastation that it leads behind, those have been done away with. Death, death can come, come get any one of us. In fact, it's the destiny for every single one of us in this room. We just don't like talking about it. It's interesting the the names of the women uh, in the different accounts, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, as each of them are telling and from different perspectives, not all the women always get named, but the one that's always there, the, the one that's kind of one of the central figures in all of the resurrection passages is Mary Magdalene. And she's there. She's there right in Mark's gospel. And I want you to know just a little bit about her. She, every time she's introduced, she's introduced by where she came from. And where she came from is a place no self-respecting Jewish person would have ever wanted to be from. It was a place that historians record the downfall of it was promiscuity and immorality. And, and, and most historians think she was a woman, an unmarried woman from this place. And so, you know, she, um, her, her, her lifestyle was one that none of us in this room would approve of. But that wasn't even her worst problem. We find that when she met Jesus, she was possessed with seven demons, seven spirits, which means she was completely possessed. Used and abused by those 
that she uh, grew up with in Magdala, and she was a woman who had been possessed. And this is how Jesus finds her. And so it doesn't take much imagination to picture what she looked like, what kind of broken and damaged life she must have. I mean, this, and this is how he found her. And then he finds her and he heals her. And in many ways, she's like this microcosm of what Jesus came to do. Came to heal the sick and, and, and the poor and, and the ones with heavy burdens. He came to heal them and save them. And, and, and she's a woman who's completely lost and broken, overcome with the, with the darkness, the darkness of hell, really. She's kind of this picture, I think, of in Genesis 1, you know, when it opens up and the world is, 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 is formless and it's void and darkness covers over the deep. This is kind of how Mary is. It describes Mary when Jesus finds her. Well, well that's who's there, but why, why are they there? Well, verse 1 tells us that they brought spices so that they might go in and anoint him. Well, these spices, they're Aramaic oils, um, they uh, they came to anoint Jesus' body, what they would do is you would sprinkle these spices, these oils over the dead body, and it was meant to mask the odor of decay. It's what you did for someone that you loved. You, you pour it over them so they wouldn't, they wouldn't smell as their body decays. It, which leads me to... Why they're coming to the tomb, I don't think they fully understand. They're not coming to the tomb to find it empty. They're not coming to the tomb because Jesus told them three times, listen, I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be laid in a grave, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. That's not why they're there. They're there to make sure that this man that they love this Jesus, that his body wouldn't smell bad as it rotted in the grave. They've come to pay their respects. They've come to cry a little bit more. And what's interesting is she didn't even fully understand who Jesus was. She didn't even understand all the power that he had. She knew some things, certainly. He'd rescued her from her hell on earth. He'd given her meaning, a place to belong. He loved her, but she didn't fully understand. And I think that's how so many people are when it comes to Jesus. Like, he's good, you know, he's, he's good and he's powerful and he's, and he's important and he demands our respect. And... But when you get right down to it, You know, my past, you just don't know my past. My, my past is probably more powerful than Jesus. But the sin in my life, sin in my life's more powerful than the power Jesus has. And, and can I just say for a second, I, I mean, I know that when you sit in a church and all this, you, it, you know, you sit and you think, man, I sure hope the preacher doesn't, you know, mention my sin, you know, because then God's talking right to me. And let me just say, I'm not. I'm not going to name any of the sins. And I know every one of yours. Because they're mine too. 
There's not anybody in this room this morning that doesn't cringe when they think about their sin. Doesn't matter what we're wearing this morning. We all have the same problem on the inside. You're tempted to think, you know what? The things that are on my inside are worse than everybody else's inside. And Jesus might be powerful, but he's not more powerful than this. And I think that's why Mary Magdalene's right here in the heart of every one of those resurrection stories, because she's going to be ground zero for what the resurrection does. She's the exclamation point on this thing called Christianity. So you get to verse 2, and you think, oh, man, we're never getting through it. It's ten we're getting through it. Don't worry. It's Easter. I'm not going to apologize to the, to the nursery workers today, okay? It's Easter. Two things in verse 2, though. It, it says very early, you know, the first day of the week when the sun had risen. You know, Mark, he, he's so brief about everything, and then he gives you these details, and that means he wants you, he wants you to say, why are you telling me that bit of it? I know what happens in the morning. The sun rises. Of course it does. He's telling us two things, when it happens and where they're going. And it's very early. It's the first day. The sun rises. This is what's interesting. All through Mark's gospel, it's always been the third day he's going to rise. And it turns out this is the third day. But Mark's telling us the third day is also a first day. In fact, all the gospel writers do that. They all call the third day the first day. I will rise after three days, Jesus says, and this third day is the first day. In other words, a new day is dawned, a new age has come. It's the first day of a, of a radically different world. The sunrise of this day is different than there any day that had come before it. It is a spiritual Dawn, light, light breaks through the darkness. Jesus suffered the darkness of death and was raised on this morning. Light shining in the darkness. And just like the whole story of human history begins in Genesis 1, let there be light. Jesus is the light in the midst of the darkness. That was the moment history began. This is the moment. History, hope is born for us. Talk about the resurrection. We are talking about the most significant event in all of history. It's the power of God breaking through. And where is it that they're going? Well, they're going to a tomb. They make their way to a tomb on the first Easter morning. And how far that is away from Galilee. And all the memories of Jesus. I mean, listen, they've gone there to mourn the death of their friend. That's why you go to a tomb. Maybe they just walked in silence as you do when grief has hold of you. 
except for the one conversation, and Mark's the only one that recorded, they're talking about, I, what are we going to do about the stone? It would have been heavy, 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 heavy stone. No way these three women would have been able to move it. That's their concern. Well, verse 3 and 4 uh, tells us, you know, who's going to ro roll away the, the stone. And they get there, and they do not find what they expect to find. In fact, what they found could not have been further from what they expected. I remember one Easter morning growing up. I told this story a long time ago. If you were here, you, you might remember it because it is a little unforgettable. I'm the oldest of five kids, and uh, in our house, Easter was kind of a big deal. You know, my mom made sure everybody had pretty Easter clothes and that sort of thing. I think there's a picture of me. I'm, I'm little. Um, I had one of those you had a yellow suit, uh, but the, it weren't, they weren't pants. It was shorts. I, had to sh and I hated that thing, man. I was so embarrassed. I'd try to pull those shorts down, you know, because I had the long white socks. I'm like, oh. But anyways, this is not that Easter I'm remembering. It's a different Easter. And it was an Easter. I remember my, my sister Molly, man, she, uh, she's my youngest sister. So there's five of us. I'm the oldest. My brother's the youngest three girls in between. Molly's the third girl. And she had, she, you know, she was just so happy. She was at that perfect age, you know, five or six or seven. This beautiful Easter dress, you know, and she had a little hat and everything. And she had gloves that went with this Easter outfit, these white gloves, pretty white gloves, I guess. You know, I mean, I don't remember, but, um, but here's what I do remember. All um, my all the girls that they were all you know in the bathroom everybody's getting ready doing their hair and all that stuff and um they left my brother my little brother unattended the year's probably 1984 michael jackson's thriller is number one on the on the top charts and if you ever seen it michael jackson wore one glove with the fingers cut out of it my brother finds the easter glove and thinks what a what else would you do with a glove like that than cut the fingers off of it? When my sister goes to put on those gloves. It is not what she was expecting. These women get to the tomb. This is not what they were expecting. Uh, it says, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man, which in the, this is a, the young man, this is old way, Old Testament way, it was, this is an angel, this is what Mark's describing. So this young, the young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they're alarmed. And he said to him, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he's, he's risen, he's not here. You missed him. Come, come on in and see the place where they laid him. I think the angel loves this moment. He has been waiting for millennia to announce that his creator, his God, his king, the eternal son, this deal has happened. 
And incidentally, the stone's not rolled away so Jesus can get out. It was rolled away so the women could get in. Don't be alarmed. There's nothing to fear. I know why you came here. You came to pay your respects. You came to mourn the loss. You came here because you witnessed the darkest moment in all of humanity. But I have some great news. That was not the final word. And from this day forth, death no longer has the final word. He's risen. He is not here. Come and see for yourself. Then the angel is going to say, now go, go and tell the disciples. And don't forget to tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. That's because Peter failed so badly. And then look at verse 8 with me for a second. It says this, and they, and they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, that uh, paralyzed them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, a couple of things. Mark's account of the resurrection, in some ways it's the most brief of all the accounts. Three women, they come to a tomb, they find it empty, an angel tells them Jesus is risen, gives them instructions on what to do. On the other hand, what, what Mark's brevity brings is probably the most dramatic picture of this, of this moment in all the Gospels. And there's this thing, and in fact, it's, it's, and if you've got a Bible in your hand, you'll see it. There's like these brackets there um, after verse 8. And uh, this was an Easter morning. We totally nerd out on this. But um, where it says that the older manuscripts that don't have the, the verses 9 through 20. Well, that's okay. The, the, the reality is Mark probably ends his gospel in verse 8. And, you know, like us, we're going to consider this and go, well, that seems like a strange way to end the resurrection account. And so, you know, the church is like, well, surely Mark didn't mean to end it there. And so they pull some stuff from John and Luke and, you know, to attach on an ending, and that's okay. We're not bothered by that at all. There's nothing heretical about it. We've received it as canon. It's all fine. But I want to talk about Mark's intention for a minute. You know, so why, why does Mark end this the way he ends it. I mean, I, this is not what I expected. I would have expected, hey, so we're going to have a worship service, and somebody looks around for a tie so they can put that on, and, um, you know, maybe somebody grabs the Easter eggs. I don't know. I mean, something like a, like this should be a celebration. It's the very first Easter. But the very first Easter, it turns out, was fleeing and trembling and paralyzing astonishment and fear, and another loss of words. Let me say to you this morning, maybe that's what's missing from Easter. 
See, because we realize then Easter's not like the happily ever after ending pasted on to the otherwise frightening conclusion of Jesus on the cross. You know what Mark's telling us? Easter is the frightening part of the story. The cross, grieve that. You want something to be afraid of? You want something that'll take your breath away? You want something that'll leave you speechless and astonished and trembling? It's the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe that's what's missing. See, because if the resurrection of Jesus is all of those things, then we can't just merely come and pay our respects and then leave here with it having no effect on us. I mean, if there's anything you can count on, like I said earlier, it's that it's the death's coming for all of us. They go, they look into the tomb, they, 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 they came to expect to see someone who's wrapped and sealed and signed and delivered there, you know. Turns out Easter changes the rules. You can't even count on death anymore. No wonder the women fled the tomb in fear. We, we might not care very much for death, but we understand it. We know it's impossible to ignore. It's what sets the agenda for the rest of our life. That's why we push so hard against it, you know, against aging and, and against disease and pandemics and, thre- and threats of all kinds. We want to stay away from death as long as possible. But here's the thing. If death isn't waiting at the very end, then everything in life has to change. We're going to start over. We discover a whole new purpose for life. According to Easter, life no longer is about collecting as many things as possible before it's too late or holding on to your loved ones as tidily as possible before you have to give them back or, or, you know, wasting a few precious years of life trying to postpone death. Never confuse life with postponing death. See, according to Easter... The point now, the point now is to discover, discover a death-defying hope. See, your life, your life because of the resurrection, when you encountered it, when, when, When it becomes something that's not just out there and it happened and Jesus rose from the dead and I'll sing a song about it and I'll put on a tie and I'll go to an Easter service, but when it becomes, oh, I believe this, it, I believe it, death was conquered. He would, he laid in a grave really, really, really dead. And it rose to life. Not an idea, not a theory, not a concept. Rose to life in a body. Perfect and whole. 
a forever body. That's what we mean when we talk about the resurrection. This isn't just some generic life after death or spirit lives on or you go to the great place in the sky. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about because of Jesus. Let's talk about my grandmother for a minute. Because of Jesus, my four foot ten grandmother in every direction. When the trumpet sounds, when the Savior descends, he will call to her and she will rise from the earth. Right where we buried her in Elmwood Cemetery in Abilene, Texas. She's going to get right up out of that earth in a new body. She'd tell you, she'd rather it be a little, a little more like this. But she won't care. It'll be a body fit forever. And that changes everything. See, that changes how you live your life today. That changes what you're aiming at for the rest of your life. You're not aiming now any longer because of the resurrection. You're not aiming at trying to prolong death or get as much as you can out of this life before you breathe your last. That's no longer the final word. It no longer has power over you. Your hope. Your hope is the resurrection of Jesus, who is the first fruit of all the resurrections to come. It's this great story. In fact, when they, the, the first bit recorded after eight is actually, a, it points to John, the end of John's gospel there in John 20. It's Mary Magdalene. She shows up, you know, somewhere in all, the, all this running and fear and everything. She finds herself, and she's just stopped there in the garden. It's next to where the tomb is. And she's alone. This is Mary Magdalene. She's alone, and she, she still doesn't get it. I mean, she doesn't understand. A man comes up to her, and so, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? Who, who are you looking for? And she says, because she thinks he's the gardener. Well, where, have, where have they taken him? Where, where have you taken him? And he calls out to her and he says, Mary, I know you. You know me. You see, she's standing there. She's, she's brokenhearted because she knows what you and I know. But the writer of Ecclesiastes knows that the 
Eternity is set in our heart, and we weren't made for death. We know that. We know it's the enemy. Mary, he says, I know you love me, but in some ways what he's saying to her is, you're understanding him, he's way too small. Way too small. You came here to pay your respects. I rose from the dead to give you life. It's like John says in John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. comes down to this on Easter. Do you believe? Do, do you believe? And, and it's a couple of things, and it's not complicated, and, and at the same time, you spend the rest of your life coming to the understanding of it. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was and who the eyewitnesses of his ministry write, record who he said he was? the Son of God, the Word made flesh who came to dwell among us, the one who was fully God and fully man. And that the purpose he came for was not to just show you the right way to live and hope that you can follow his example. He came to live the life you couldn't live and, and to die the death that you deserve. He, he took all your sin. God put all your sin on him. And in turn offers all you, you all his perfection. If you believe, if you, if you believe, he died for your sin. And that he really died. He really paid the penalty. He really satisfied the judgment that God had against you. And he laid dead for three days and yet death couldn't hold him. And he rose again to new life on the third day. Conquered death. Came to new life in a glorified body, a forever, a forever human body. It says, if you'll believe me, Paul writes it in Romans 6. Count your death with him, your, his life. Count your death is his death. His death is your death. And then you know what? You get his life. He's the first. And he's coming for you to be raised from the dead. Do you believe that? It's not about do you respect it? Is Jesus good? Is, you know, is this a day worth getting up and going to church for? It, do you really believe it? Do you believe he has the power of life over death and offers you that life and that your life now can be lived with that hope. One writer, Annie Dillard, she said it this way, I have been my whole life a bell, but I never knew it until I was picked up, lifted up, and rung. My whole life, I thought I was a paperweight or a doorstop. 
had no, I had no idea that if somebody picked me up and rung me, that I was a bell. Because I had no idea what that was and no idea who I was. And I'd argue this morning, how do you know? How do you know you're a child of God? Give yourself to him this morning by faith. I trust you, God, for sending your son to do what I could not do. And I believe he died for my sin. And he laid dead, and he rose from the dead three days later. I trust you with it. I trust you. And my hope now is that I will be raised with him. You know what? You'll, you'll discover at that moment you are a child of God, a son, a daughter of the living God. And you didn't even know what that was beforehand. You can do it this morning before you leave. I hope you will. If you've got any questions, come talk to me about it. Come talk to one of our elders about it. Come talk to Johnny Russell, who will have a big red cowboy hat on. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Well, can we try that again? That was kind of. This is on video, people, for crying out loud. He is risen. Father, I pray that you are honored this morning as we exalt the name of your son, Jesus. I would come more to do more than just pay our respects this morning. Father, we've come to put our life in your hands. To consider all over again what it means that the resurrection changed the world. That the resurrection changes me. Father, for anybody here this morning that's not ever said, you know what, okay, I, I believe that. I'm trusting that. Father, grant them faith this morning that in this moment they would know what it is to be a child of God. Father, you can do this, and so we trust you with it. And we pray in the only way we can, the name of your Son, Jesus, who's seated at your right hand, and in the power of your Spirit. Amen.